millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Houston. In the program, the Tall Blacks begin their World Cup campaign with Kirk Penny back after a two-year break from international duty. Are the Warriors still in playoff contention? Captain Simon Mannering vents his frustration at his NRL season continually finishing early. Rowers Hamish Bond and Eric Murray chase a rare double at the rowing world champs. We catch up with Hamish Carter 10 years after his historic Olympic win in the triathlon in Athens and ask him just why New Zealand's no longer at the top of the triathlon tree. And Northern Districts suffer a double blow ahead of their Champions League 2020 tournament. The New Zealand basketball team begin their World Cup campaign this weekend with their opening match against Turkey in Bilbao in Spain. Nenad Vucinic's side have had an extensive build-up touring Asia and Europe, producing commendable performances against Slovenia and Lithuania before beating Serbia in their final warm-up match. Along with Turkey, the Tall Blacks will play the Dominican Republic, the United States, Ukraine and Finland, with the top four teams advancing to the knockout rounds. The veteran guard Kirk Penny will again be one of the team's key players. He's returning after a two-year break from international duty. He spoke to Alex Coogan-Reeves. Absolutely loving it. And great to see the new guys coming through, the young guys that I haven't really played much with, if at all, and just to see how they're developing. And um, It's pretty cool balancing the team between you know, guys in their mid-30s and guys late teenagers. And uh, It's cool to come on tour and just spend time and the conversations we have on the buses and in the in the rooms. And um, I'm really enjoying just being back with the guys, being with a, you know, a great crew of Kiwis and and speaking English, which I don't get to do for a lot of the year in this kind of context. Have you been impressed with the way some of the guys that you might have played with a couple of years ago have come on? If you look at, like, say, Corey Webster, who who was very much still developing probably when you last played with him, and, and now he's a genuine sort of uh, all, all-round threat on the court. Absolutely. I mean, the second I saw Corey seven weeks ago when I got back, I knew something had changed. Just his whole demeanour, his whole um, physical shape, you could tell he had... The switch had gone on, the light bulb had gone on, and and um, he'd become a much better player. He looked at physically, he was moving better, and you can tell just by his game, he's put in a lot of work. So, you know, it's awesome to have Corey, you know, on the crew, and he's just great in terms of scoring and creating, um, or just keeping the scoreboard ticking over and creating opportunities for others. And, um, yeah, just really, really happy to see where he's at and be proud of what he's achieved over the last couple of years. And then also his brother Ty, obviously I haven't really played with him at all, He's really talented, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does in this tournament because you can see moments where he just is incredible and is playing at such a high level. I'm just hoping he can embrace this tournament and do the same thing. Do you feel like those two guys, especially are two guys who could maybe really step up on a big stage and have a breakout tournament with the world watching? 
I actually think there's more than just two. I think we've got a lot of guys, and it's going to be really fun to watch. You know, obviously playing, I'm going to be out there trying to contribute and do my best, but there's going to be a part of me just watching to see, you know, who really comes to the party. And we, we have a lot of talented guys that in different practices put up their hand and, and want to be counted, and, and you know, we'll just see how we go. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see. But you know, I like where we're at. Um, we have some ma- a massive challenge with Turkey to start, and, and we'll go from there. Do you feel like Basketball New Zealand's got, got the build-up right and, and the team's feeling pretty game-fit, but n- not to the extent where they're too tired to actually play now you're getting to the tournament? Well, I think we've been in Spain now for at least five or six days, which I think is, is, is crucial. It's great. Um, you know, you're already climatized. You're with, you're in the time zone, you're climatized, you're feeling good. Um, so that's been great. Uh, this might even be the best tour I've ever been on. And I say that just because we've had, you know, early on we had maybe lesser talented opponents, but still we had to really fight to win. And we went up to higher level European teams like Lithuania, Greece, Serbia, Slovenia, and really got to test ourselves. And now here we come into the big show, and it just feels like we've we've taken a step up, you know, every every moment. And I'm hoping that you know that really bodes well for us. And do you feel like that win against Serbia that you can take anything out of that, or do you sort of have to shelve it and move on? Because I guess you had a number of close calls leading up to it, and that was the one where you finally got over the line. But that's what we do take from it. Just that confidence boost where you know, we show we can finish a team, finish a world-class team. Um, and you're right, in the other games, we had double-digit leads, we played well, and we're unfortunate not to win. Um, so it was huge for us just to, to get that big win. And um, you know, hopefully when we get in that situation again against these teams, whoever it is, if it's close, we uh, believe in ourselves and have proven to ourselves that we can win the close ones. And how do you rate this pool, Pool C? It's some some have called it the pool of death, but do you feel like maybe if you take the United States out of it and, and look at the other teams, you you see them all as being winnable, or is it really as tough as people have been saying? I've never called it the pool of death. I'd just say that um, every game for us is going to be difficult and going to be a challenge, but you know, I believe in what... I think we can achieve. So it's really hard to say. Um, you know, obviously, we've just watched these teams on film. I don't think we've ever played Dominican Republic before. We haven't played Ukraine for a few years. We've played in Finland for several years. Um, a lot of the same guys are there, but they've and they've gotten a lot better. You just, it's hard to say right now until we really get on court with them and measure ourselves. But we've got a good pool. There's a lot of good teams, but um, outside of the USA. I think we've got to really back ourselves against everything. And even the USA, you know, I think when we go against them, we're just going to give, give it our all and, and enjoy, the, enjoy the process. I guess that's going to be a game most of the team's probably looking forward to the most, I guess, when you look at th- that roster. It's, it's got once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, really, isn't it? We've played the US a few times over the years. I know in 2002 we played the Marrow in our pool when we made that good run. And we played them in Florida one time in a friendly. We may have played them once more. But I think, you know, we're, we're, they're difficult to play against. They're so athletic. But I, I know the guys will enjoy the, um, the opportunity. But I don't know. I'm excited for it just to, just to go at them and see what happens. But that's not, not for until our third game. So we've got a lot of time between now and then. Just looking more immediately at Turkey, I guess uh, it's a team that you should have a bit of a grasp on yourself, having a, spent a bit of time there. You know, do you know much about the players and that sort of thing? Oh, yeah. I know them all really well. Um, 
the last two years being in Turkey, playing against oh, all these guys. I think all of them play in the Turkish league except maybe um, maybe one guy, maybe Ashik, who's with the Rockets. But, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this game. Looking forward to go against them. Really glad to have all the guys here and, and um, see how New Zealand measures up against them. Kirk Penny talking to Alex Coogan-Reeves. History is driving the Olympic and world champion men's pair pursuit of two titles at the Rowing World Championships in Amsterdam. Hamish Bond and Eric Murray have emerged as genuine gold medal contenders in their new event, the Coxed Pair, having stormed into the final with a typically dominant performance. The duo, unbeaten in six years in the pair, lined up in the Coxed Pair at a major event for the first time and didn't miss a beat easily winning their heat to cruise directly into the weekend's final. They're now odds-on to win a rear double World Championship gold and become the first male rowers since 2002 to win two titles at the same event. Hamish Bond spoke to Joe Porter about just why he and Eric Murray have taken on the challenge of the Coxed pair. It was an unknown element, being our first race, so um, perhaps it spurred us on a little bit. And um, yeah, we pushed pretty hard over the first part of the course opened up a big lead and, and then um, really sort of tried to conserve as much energy over the back half of the race, um, given our schedule going forward. And obviously it's an event that hasn't been at the Olympics for some time. What was your, I guess, attraction to the Cox Pier? Um, yeah, well, the event does have a lot of history. Um, I guess that's sort of been stalled for the last, um, or since Barcelona, since it hasn't been in the Olympics. Um, it doesn't often attract, I guess, uh uh, given that it's non-Olympic, um, countries don't often prioritise it as an event, so generally the people who um, race the event are either uh, particularly um, in that, in that uh, event as a niche, a niche event or um, they're the, perhaps the lower-ranked people in, in the country's squad and often out to prove a point that they should have been in one of the Olympic classes. So... Um, it can produce um, rows with a lot of desire and will to win a medal um, and this year we have turned up with a, a, a large amount of entries um, with 12 entries, it's the biggest it's been for quite a while and um, yeah, I'm sure come the final will be quite a few challenges Your main reason for, for choosing the Cox Pairs just because it is so similar to the pair, the, the adjustments weren't huge? Yeah, well the adjustments aren't huge and it just provided another challenge um, I guess, an opportunity to do something different and, and hopefully come away with another championship, something uh, uh, a slightly different feather in the cap, I guess. Um, yeah, op- uh, entering two events does does provide challenges. Um, I think 2002 was the last time uh, any male athletes successfully won two events. So um, it doesn't... Uh, Male athletes don't often enter to events, let alone win them, so um, it would be nice to be able to achieve something that's uh, not done too often. In terms of the added challenges, I'm assuming that fatigue and, I guess, you know, conditioning and, and making sure you balance out you know, how hard you go in your heats and things is the strategic part that becomes a little more difficult when you're racing two races. That's a large part of it. It's about um, doing what you have to do um, rather than you know, going full gas all the time. Um, but in saying that, you know, we've done a number of regattas over the years. You know, national champs, we end up with multiple multiple races within one day, let alone over the course of a week. So I, I don't feel as though that should hold too much of a problem. I guess towards the end of the week, um, 
at the moment we're feeling fine and, and so we haven't lost too much energy um, towards the end of the week that perhaps where it might start to accrue if we have three hard races in a row but um, in training we've done three hard races in a row on successive days uh, multiple times so it's nothing new. Now obviously if you come away with two gold medals from this world championships you would have ticked that box in terms of the Cox pairs fairly quickly. I mean are there any sort of other challenges perhaps a little bit further removed from what you've been doing? Um, hard to say. I think we'll just have to address that when we get there. I mean, next year we have Olympic, you have the, the world champs with the qualification regatta for the Olympics. So, um, that holds its own challenges. It can often, you end up with a bit of a step up in competition just due to the fact that countries are looking to qualify for the Olympics. Um, so we'll really have to assess it then and, and perhaps, you know, we could look at the Cox Pure again or, um, other than that, there's, there's not really too many, um, things that are that feasible. Um, but, you know, we, that's the, part of the reason for doing the Cox Pure was just about finding another challenge. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes this week. Um, we may have to eat humble pie and, 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 um, turn around and, and say, well, maybe the Cox Pure is enough, maybe one event's enough, but we'll, uh, We'll see how we go. Eric and I have been rowing together for a long time, pretty much since 2006. As, as you know, when you called here, Eric answered, I'm on the bed beside him. We're within two metres of each other. And we spend a lot of time <laughs> in close proximity, not only training, but also rooming. And um, at times it wears thin, but at the end of the day, we've, we've both got a common um, goal, and that's to go out there and win. And um, I guess that's what we draw everything back to if uh, things start going haywire. Is defending your title in Rio as the men's pair still sort of the ultimate goal? Yeah, for sure. That's the um, that's the end game. We don't we don't think about Rio really at all um, on a day to day basis. Or I mean, apart from being the reason perhaps that we're still you sort of go you definitely do go Olympiad. By Olympiad, you, know, you sort of look four years in the future when you decide on what your goals are post-Olympics. Um, but in terms of getting there, you know, we really only focus on on ultimately the year in advance because that, I guess, once the year the season's done, you reassess as to what you're going to do to reach your ultimate goal of the Olympics. Um, and then on a day-to-day basis, you know, we're really only working two, three weeks in advance and, and really focusing on what we do on a day-to-day basis. Hamish Bond talking to Joe Porter. Proving they're better than their Commonwealth Games results suggest is a motivating factor for the New Zealand triathlon squad ahead of the World Championships in Edmonton and Canada this weekend. New Zealand triathletes failed to win a medal in Glasgow, a far cry from 10 years ago at the Athens Olympics when Hamish Carter and Bevan Doherty won gold and silver. That was just the second time New Zealand had been first and second in the same Olympic event. Equestrians Blythe Tate and Sally Clark finished first and second in the individual three-day event at Atlanta in 1996. It's ten years this week since Carter won that Olympic gold, and he told me that there are times, though, that he wishes he never did. I spoke to him about that and just why New Zealand triathlon's no longer at the top of the international tree. I guess the downside is that you are seen as... um an athlete that won a race in Athens on a certain day and um, and that's all you, you are. But I think, yeah, you do move on from that and you do different things, but people keep seeing you as that. Um, that's okay. It's just, um, it does catch you by surprise every now and then and you're yeah, very rarely, but sometimes you just wish, God, I wish I, could, I, I didn't 
have that as, a, as the identity of who I am, it, it doesn't really sum you up. What is the first thought that, that comes to your mind about the whole event? Do you see yourself standing on the, the podium? Do you see yourself crossing the finish line? What springs to mind? I guess um, images which stick in my mind, I think um, it comes down to probably seeing two New Zealand flags going up the flagpole. Um, I think at that moment you sort of, you know, you, you do feel, you can feel quite small coming from New Zealand in, a, in an environment like that. And then I think I joked to Bevan on the podium, you know, that day, it would be funny if they didn't have two New Zealand flags because in other races they, they hadn't. <laughs> um, because they obviously, you know, you think about you need a lot of flags at every medal ceremony. So, like, seeing two New Zealand flags going up the pole was um, was pretty special. What impact did Bevan's win in the World Championship a couple of months beforehand have on you? Oh, a huge impact. And, you know, him coming along and the success he had was really important to my success. And um, I have no doubt that, you know, he, him, him beating me and winning that world title in the Olympic year was the final shot in the arm I needed, really, to um, to sort of come out fighting and and um, and to be relentless on my preparation to so I could perform, you know, in that race. And uh, you know, even right down to the last 800 metres, we were running side by side. So he was a huge part of you know my success, and you know, we sort of I think we needed each other there. And we sort of made each other the athletes that we became. Going into Athens, Sydney had obviously played on your mind quite a bit, had it? Yeah, it definitely played on my mind, and it probably had a huge part in shaping the athlete that I became. And it was it was a tough period, uh, but it was necessary, and um, it kind of really set me up for Athens. Um, uh, but look, it wasn't. It was pretty ugly at the time. It was just <laughs> it was just a really hard period of my career and luckily I had the support around me to come back and sort of put a better performance together. Because what you considered giving it up? Yeah I mean you definitely consider it um, like consider considering giving it up wasn't anything new because you you often had patches of your career which were tough and you weren't racing well or just things didn't go well and that was quite normal but you know, a result like Sydney really undermines um, what you really think is critical to performance because, you know, you perform, you, you prepare well and it doesn't go well and you have to go, what what happened? Um, so, it, yeah, it, it does um, it does shake the foundation quite hard and, um, but look, it was the impetus for change which needed to happen and it worked out well in the end. What are your thoughts now on New Zealand? triathlon because obviously Glasgow was a disappointing performance and things haven't gone so well in recent years what are the problems? The athletes and coaches in this program are work incredibly hard and they're competing in a sport which is incredibly complex to get right on a certain day, there's just so many aspects to it like, like any high performance sport and most sports you know, naturally go through ebb and flows um, and it's just a natural tendency. In New Zealand, we don't have a massive pool of, of athletes coming through. I think the good thing is, at the moment, you know, with, with Glasgow and the triathletes, I think they came out of that event learning an awful lot. And it's definitely on the right track. Uh, but, I, I, but I, like anyone, would want, I want to see you know, um, Ryan Sissons and, and Andrea win more races. Um, 
So you also got to keep in mind that since I run one in Athens, the sport has fundamentally changed through you know, the, the two British athletes, the Brownlee brothers and Javier Gomez. And triathlon being a young sport, these guys have found the right recipe in training to deliver performances which would have been unheard of, you know, 10 years ago. So, and I think a sport like triathlon will keep evolving quickly like this. Um, there's going to be people who will change the sport from period to period. Do you sense where the next big development might be then in the, the sport? No, and that's the beauty of it, really. You, you just have no idea where it's going to go next. But at the moment, there's a few guys who have got the strangle hold on what it means to win a race. And I think a lot of athletes are playing catch-up. Um, and it's probably more so on the guys' side than the girls' side. But as I said, you know, this is this is a sport where learning faster than your opposition is probably one of the only competitive advantages you can have. And I think our program is doing that pretty well. I was talking to Hamish Carter. And the women's race at the World Champs in Edmonton is on Sunday morning with the New Zealand team spearheaded by Andrea Hewitt. Well, the men's race is on Monday morning. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. The Warriors have let their National Rugby League season slip out of their control, heading into the final two weeks of the regular season. Two weeks ago, the side was sitting comfortably inside the top eight and was a realistic chance of pushing for a top-four finish. However, a disappointing loss to the struggling Newcastle Knights followed by a humiliation at home against the reigning premiers, the Sydney Roosters, has left the Warriors needing to win their last two games and have other results go their way to have any chance of making the playoffs. Alex Coogan-Reeves spoke to captain Simon Mannering, who says the season's unravelled quickly. That's the nature of the competition. If you take the foot off for a week or two, it definitely hurts you and it has hurt us. Um, Yeah, we've uh, put ourselves in a bit of a predicament now and... Yeah, we've got to get ourselves out of it, and it's, yeah, for us, we've got to make sure we perform well in our last home game here at Mount Smart. Is it disappointing, I guess, that it's the second or third year at the row that you've sort of struggled at the wrong time of the season? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, these rounds towards the end are the most important ones, and yeah, I guess we've had a um, pattern there of, of letting ourselves down and, and, and the most important time of the season, so... You know, we've still got two weeks left, so you know we haven't done that just quite yet, and you know, we've got still a lot to play for. Can you figure out, is there any particular reason why it might be an issue for this team? Is it mental, or is it a fatigue thing at the end of what's a pretty long, tough season? Yeah, I'm not too sure. I guess you know that all that affects um, the team, but it affects every team. Um, we're all playing the same comp, and um, you know, everyone has trouble at some stage through the year. And Yeah, I can't, I can't say I can, I can put my finger on a certain thing, but... Obviously, it's something we're doing as, as, as a team and something we have to get right because we're living ourselves down um, in the most important time of the season. Tommy mentioned before that he thought maybe some of the young guys are just battling with confidence and things at the moment. Do, do you see that? And if so, how do you sort of try and try and pick them up? Probably does, you know, when we're not playing well as a team and probably, you know, us older guys aren't playing as well either. So, um, yeah, I guess pick it back up as... as Obviously for us guys have been a bit longer to you know, perform on the field and hopefully they'll follow. And now I guess that it's out of your hands, I guess the focus not changing and your preparation stays the same and it's just focusing on two wins. That's right, yeah, you don't want to you know, go on a witch hunt and start chopping and changing and 
you know, trying to come up with a miracle uh, fix because um, it's you know it's not like it's broken in the first place. We've, what we've been doing has been working, but the last two weeks we've just let ourselves down, and it's a matter of getting back to back to our basics, and that definitely starts with our defence. Yeah, do you take some solace that it's not that long ago that you were playing really well, and you can go back and look Ex- at what you're doing? Exactly. Um, you know, you can change a game of footy very quick in, in a matter of weeks. And, yeah, we're the same team. Um, we've got the ability um, and we've got the performances behind us that we know we can do it. It's just a matter of bringing it out. And you'd say the two winnable games, there's no reason why you can't obviously beat the Titans at home and then Penrith, you've had success against them in the past? Yeah, I guess it doesn't really matter the opposition. It's more we believe in ourselves that we can beat um, a team on, the, on any day. Um, but... Obviously that control is within our hands and we've got to perform first before worrying about who we're playing. Uh, and we haven't done that the last two weeks. Now, if we played really well last week and lost, then you know, it would have been a lot easier to swallow. But we you know, didn't even give ourselves a chance, so that's all we've got to think about. Do you feel like when you look back, maybe if, if things don't go your way over the next couple of weeks, that that night's loss is going to be the one that stings the most? Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, whenever you... I, you don't have a uh, a good season or you get close you always look back on games and there's probably a few games you look back on and if you're doing that then yeah I've done it for a few years and it's it is frustrating you know you know you, you, you know you got the ability and um, you, a performance within the team that can that should be playing there in September but you, instead you're watching it and that's probably the more frustrating thing about it is you know and you can you can be there if you just had to could just, I guess, be a bit more consistent and stick with it a bit longer. That's Warriors skipper Simon Mannering talking to Alex Coogan-Reeves and the Warriors play the Gold Coast Titans at Mount Smart Stadium on Sunday. The Northern Districts cricket side suffered a late double blow with two internationals ruled out of the Champions League 2020 tournament in India. The Northern District side depart next week, but will be without all-rounder Corey Anderson, who was named in the Mumbai Indian squad, and the former New Zealand captain Daniel Vittori, who's withdrawn late due to a family health matter. Mitchell Santana has been brought into the team to cover Vittori's absence. They'll play three qualifiers against Mumbai, the Southern Express from Sri Lanka, and the Lahore Lions, with the top two teams in the pool advancing to the main tournament. Alex Guggen-Reeve spoke to captain Daniel Flynn, and asked how the loss of those two key players will affect the side. Disappointing to lose a lot of experience, and um, Dan and Corey, uh, obviously world-class players as well, um, but I guess the reality is there's not much we can do about it. So, um, you know, we've certainly got a lot of proven international players in our group um, to try and cover it, and it, it gives opportunities for other guys as well. It probably didn't come as too much of a surprise either. I mean, uh, Corey... Obviously, as soon as he was signed with Mumbai, he, he was always going to be in this position. And then Dan hasn't been able to play an awful lot over the last couple of years. No, no. I mean, we have been fortunate to have Dan in patches when he has been available. And he obviously adds a lot to the group with his experience. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, with Corey, um, Mumbai obviously had first first choice. Um so, yeah, he's gone with them and we, we get the opportunity to play against them, um, which should be good fun. You feel like you uh, do have enough spin bowling to to cover uh, Dan's absence? Yeah, yeah, we've still got East Sodi, obviously. Um, John O'Bolt, who 
was the top wicket taker in the HRV uh, last last summer. Um, and with Anton Devsic as well, and brought in we've brought in Mitchell Satner, who um, you know is a quality left arm spinner as well. Who looking forward to see how he goes. I guess is one of the challenges for the team. I mean, not not all of the team. There are a lot of international players, but they might not have experienced Indian pitches necessarily, and and that does that pose a bit of a challenge. Yeah, I guess so. The three teams that we're playing in qualifying are subcontinent-based sides, so you know they're obviously got a fair idea of the conditions. But you know, like I said, it's a pretty experienced group, um, and guys, a lot of guys have been over there and played over there, and the ones that haven't are obviously getting some information from them of how to adapt and. You know, we're trying to share that knowledge around as best we can. The other thing is it's quite hard having to go in and peak straight out of what's the off-season for a lot of guys. How are you sort of dealing with that? Um, we've been pretty lucky. We've had about four camps spaced out over the last month um, in Mount Maunganui where the weather's been kind to us and we've been able to get out on the grass there, which has been fantastic. Um, and then we fly out on Monday and we've got 10 days in Bangalore um, to prepare as well, so we'll get acclimatised then and get a real good feel for conditions. Um, and then hopefully we hit the ground running for the first qualifying game. Because I guess it becomes pretty sort of, the stakes are pretty high in each game and you can't, one bad result can ruin the whole trip. That's the nature of these tournaments, isn't it? You know, we, we understand that. You know, it's, it is three big games, um, so I think you just got to take each one as it comes, not get too far ahead of yourself. Obviously, you know, we're going over there with the vision of winning the, the tournament, but first and foremost, we've got to get past um, or get qualified. And do you know much about the teams that you'll be playing in qualifying? Obviously, you would have seen a bit of Mumbai in the Premier League, but with that Sri Lankan and Pakistani team in there, they're a bit more of an unknown uh, sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, we've got the team list, obviously. The Pakistan side's got a lot of international players um, who, you know, the guys have played against on the international circuit, and then the the Sri Lankan side's a bit the same. There's a handful of international players as well. So, you know, we've got a fair idea. There's a bit of footage as well that we're able to look at to um, get ourselves familiar with what we're coming up against. That's Daniel Flynn talking to Alex Coogan-Reeves. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. And you can also follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. I'm Stephen Houston. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.